You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and we're in St- County Limerick in the beautiful town of Askeaton, where there is a most magnificent Franciscan fairy ruin. And we're here with Anthony Sheehy, and we're going to hear about the history of the place and some of the surrounding areas as well. Anthony, it's a great honour to have you here today, and thanks a million for taking the time. So, as I said, we're here in the, on the grounds of this magnificent ruin. So we're here with the end, uh, we're here alongside this ruin here, which was uh, John Norris Russell's flour mill. Okay. This flour mill was built in 1796. It was burned down on Wednesday evening at 7.30 on the 10th of March 1847 because combustion from the flour ignited. A spark from that building fell on another ruin here at the other side, which was a little church. Okay. You see it here? Yep. And uh, <coughs> some people maintained it was also a hospice at one stage as well, okay, maybe during the famine. So that's what you have here. It also became a creamery some years later, and you have anything up to 200 suppliers coming here. And there was butter made there and all that type of thing. So when it be kind of when the farmers got a little bit wealthier, had more time to look after their farms, that the bulk tanks came into their yards and soaked up the milk and took it away, which gave them more time because before that, if they were coming to the creamery with their horse and cat, the situation was this that they would t- to take half the day because they might go into the pub and take a little drop of uh, porter you know which is very good for them <laughs> and uh, they get a few messages and all that right, type of thing right, right. so now they had more time to look after their vegetable gardens as well and okay. hay and all that ok you mentioned 1847 that the fire happened yeah, here. during the famine. During the famine. So, mm-hmm. given how bad things were and how scarce food was, that there was a flour mill and that it was producing flour in the area at that time, that would have been a very valuable resource. Were the locals getting access to the flour or was it being exported? Well, no, I mean, a lot of that would have been exported, but I'm sure with the, the local people, they had to look after their own people in, in the locality anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, like, we have a, a famine grave here in Askeaton, and I just don't know how many people had died and were buried there. But that's where uptown, where we have a nice Temple Tower, right. you know? So and I do want to talk to you a bit about the nice yeah. Temple as so, we go yeah. But going back to that as well then, that would have aggravated the situation in the area for food, because people who may have been on just subsistence now whatever the chance there was yeah. taking a bit of bread was yes. taken away as well, well that's, uh, that is true as well like you know and it was in uh, 1945 1845 46 and 47 uh, they were the, the three tough years you that's know? right especially 47 and that's when this went up and uh, yeah it went up and uh, yeah well, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Windsor and Windsor the 10th of March 1847 right so as we walk in here through the yes churchyard no. towards towards the yeah we're of the uh, it would have been a cathedral by the looks of it. Yeah. Is it is, or did it have that designation? Well, no, uh, not that I know of it, but I always had it just a Franciscan friary, you know? Friary, yeah. yeah. Okay, and of course, probably wouldn't if it was an order of priests as distinct from diocesan clergy. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, that would be the situation, all right, then, you know. The other thing, Anthony, the po- I won't suppose it's me, I find fascinating is, you know, you go, we're here in, in Askeaton, and this is a huge structure so it would have been a large community and you go a number of miles down the road to Newcastle West yes and there's another huge, huge structure yeah, and you go all around here and there's huge 
religious. Well, you see, this was the thing, like, you know, this, was, this may have been a huge building site in, in that period of time. So, to give you the information here now, by the way, this Franciscan friary was founded by the fourth devil of Desmond, Gerald de Port, in 1389. Okay. It was completely built here by 1420-1440, and the community were gone here by 1714 on account of religious persecution. And on the, on the 20, uh, 28th of August 2014, I had a good idea for the third centenary of the departure of the Franciscans, and I had a big group here on that day. I had nine monks here, and we massed the church because in Ireland it rains. Never. And it rained, <laughs> it rained that morning. So the monks came down here that afternoon, and it was absolutely fantastic out here. Uh, before we go in here, there's a, a plaque here, and it's, it's in commemoration of the 8th centenary of the birth of St. Francis. The Franciscans of Limerick paid tribute to their historical connections with Askeaton by offering the sacrifice of the Holy Mass here together with the people of the local locality on Sunday the 12th of September 1982 and that mass was celebrated on the grounds at the back of the altar which we'll see in a moment right. because that was a vegetable garden at one stage now before we go inside as well and I look at the structure here a lot of it is in quite good condition. Like, so, yes, the roof's gone. And yes, yes, yes. But has there any restoration work been done, or are we looking at what was the original? Right, okay. As it stands at the moment, it's, or, it's already original. Right. But what I'm concerned to you is this, nobody will. OPW offers the public works. Uh, there was intentions there some years ago that they were going to do some works here as well. And the thing about it is this, when it rains, when the water is seeping down through the, through the roof, which, uh, within the cloisters, right, which we'll see in a moment. And of course, the thing about it was this, that uh, when OPW came to uh, do work in Askeaton, they kind of wanted the local people or community scheme uh, to do it themselves because they felt that they wanted to hand it on. Okay. And I, I, I know that at that meeting, I said to the minister at the time, at the time Mr. Hayes, I said, look what I said, it's the OPW that will be doing this work because you're the experts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's on the back burner at the moment. It's on the back back burner at the moment, and I mean, like everybody that comes here, they're absolutely stunned with this uh, Franciscan friary ruins, and you'll see all that when we go in and on in a few moments. Now, the um, other thing here, the stone that is used here is limestone. It's right? all limestone yeah, around here. From yeah. around here? Yes. Okay. It would be. It would be. Any idea where it might have been quarried? Well, you see, the situation would say here in the town of Escaton, we have what they call um, uh, King Spanish. They, they produce airboard. Okay. Your insulation for houses, yep. right? And way, way before that was called Southern Chemicals. Right. Where lime was quarried here. Oh, sorry, rock was quarried and produced lime, yeah. and that lime was was put on lands which were deficient in minerals right. over the many, many years. So, I mean, like, that quarry is stopped now because the situation is it's about 80 feet deep now and it's full of water. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like, uh, they're getting. So, effectively, it has been totally quarried at this Yeah, time. and so the stone was here. Yes. If you like. So, the, yes. Yeah. So, in, in its yeah. heyday here as well, do you have any idea how many Franciscans might have been? in the monastery uh, good the question uh, my opinion would be for the size of this place here there may have been 30 or 40 yeah. that would be my opinion now 
and there might be less yeah a thought that went through my head and it was relative to not just here but given that this was vacant gone by the time but during the famine an awful lot of communities that would have survived or would have been around then they survived reasonably well during the famine, did they? And I'm talking now the religious communities. Uh, yeah, well, of course, you see, <laughs> I suppose like everything is, they were giving the, uh, the alms to yes. the people, and because it's built alongside the river uh, river here, the river here in Escaping is the river Deal. Okay. And it flows right into the Shannon, yeah. which is about three kilometres from here. And the thing about it was this, they would go fishing as well, like. Yeah. So, I mean, the fish, I say, were plentiful if you know how to catch them. You're right. If you understand me. So, all the, the banks of the River Shannon, we say, are uh, all, all mud banks. So, that's why they have flat bottom boats. So, the situation is before there was any structures done on, on the banks of the river here, I'm sure where there was areas of mud, yeah. they could slip their boats off the mud and go away fishing. Fishing. Yes. And the other thing, of course, uh, when they were when they were doing that, like you know, that they knew that after the day's fishing, that when they came back, that the tide was in. If you understand. Okay. Okay. And they also would say uh, they went out and they traded, and they also picked up seaweed. Seaweed is a fantastic fertilizer. Right. I don't know if you know yes, this. Yes, I was in the gardens in Connemara. Okay. Oh, uh, And oh, they explained yeah. the the benefits of okay. the two different types of seaweed. Is, yeah. But the, the seaweed, uh, as I say, like, if you put that on, on a vegetable garden, if you're growing potatoes, uh, with animal manure, I tell you, the taste of that food, uh, those potatoes, were absolutely un- unbelievable. Right. And you won't get that nowadays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Things have changed. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. So we're heading indoors, are yeah, we? Yeah, what we're doing... What as we're far do- as indoors, is a, yeah. it's a roofless indoors. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a bit of a roof around it. So we're going in here up these steps, yeah. and we're going into a long dark room, which is the kitchen. Okay. And I'll explain about the baking of bread in medieval times. <coughs> I'll also explain how to form the ceilings and the floors and, and the windows. We're walking along here through yeah. the. Um, we'll, we've we'll, just come through and it's a dark corridor yeah. type area. This is actually the kitchen. Okay. <coughs> I'm going to explain to you here. First of all, by the way, that square at the back was the oven where they would bake the bread. Right. And the area here in front, that's where they had the fires. The fires. Right? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the story about the baking of bread in medieval times. Now, you may have heard of an expression of saying, the upper crust. Yes. Right. Do you know where that came from? No, no I don't, but well, I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Anyway, what they did was, the warm ashes from the fire here were distributed into the oven. To make sure... Before we do that, what we should you pointed out there's the the, the square it's a square at the back of the fireplace. Uh, yes. Very much like an oven. Yes. So it, it would be behind the fire. Uh, correct. Because yes. we we need to verbally. Okay. Well, that's yes. and you come in there when that's you have right. So now, so to explain a little bit further, now by the way, they may have a long, we'll say, a timber, um, we'll say, a shovel if you like. So. The bread was in the shape of a pizza, right? Yeah. So 
that was laid on the warm ashes within the oven okay and when the bread was baked it was taken out from the oven because it was burnt at the bottom and, and, and dark and, and brown and black people did not want to eat that part of it so they would say may I have the upper crust please Right. and the bottom part of that bread was never wasted that was given to the poor people ok so that's my explanation here now ok right that's as regards the windows yes the windows had no glass on the lower windows they had glass on the bigger windows because glass was very expensive so what they had here they had timber shuttering fitted into those angles Right, and what we're looking at is a narrow opening out that comes back out uh, like a triangle. Correct, correct. Yeah, you, you, you can. Yeah, yeah. So the situation was this: what they did was they had animal skin, so they shaved off the hair of the animal skin, uh-huh. and they pinned it on to the outside of that timber shutling. Right. With the hair off, it was transparent. It allowed the light through, but kept out wind and rain. No problem. And if they weren't happy with it after two months or two years or three years, it was a lot cheaper to replace animal skin than to replace glass, which was too expensive. We should say as well that the wall here is probably about uh, close on, uh, in metric terms, about 70 centimetres, so it's about thir- close on 30 inches. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Now, I'm going to explain to you how the far on the ceilings. When they were building these arches to the required height, they had templates about two feet apart, very strong and sturdy. So when they got to the required height, they had these interwoven mats made of hazel branches and willow branches. Okay. The situation was this, <coughs> just along the wall here at both sides, there are recesses. Yeah. So they had a frame there to hold those mats in place with the concrete. That's all overhead. So the the mortar, the, or mortar I should say, the mortar that they used was sand and shells from the seashore, yeah. they used sand from the local sand pits, ashes from the fireplace, animal blood and animal hair. Yes. And what I'm trying to say to you here, you see these lines, horizontal lines and vertical lines. Yeah. The, the, the matting was um, willow and hazel branches interlaced, right? So, they were stuck actually to the concrete and they were kept in that position until it dried out. Yeah. So what they did was, they would take those down, we say maybe a day or two days later, and they would use them for another job, someplace okay. else. Okay. And if not, if there was some stuck, they had their uh, mallets and their timber, and their timber mallets and their chisels, so they punched them out. So equivalent to the modern method where they're pouring concrete on, in apartment blocks. Yes and they put up scaffolding and they put a sheet of metal yes to create a false floor and then pour yeah. the concrete yes yes and yes. when that's set then take the, the supports away yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. basic principle exactly now the floors in medieval times they were either dirt or earthen floors or what they call mud floors and their first technology of a floor was a, a cobblestone floor okay they had a mixture of straw earth and water mixed like cement and they put lots of that on the earthen floor 
They put in these stones vertical, they interlaced each stone with the reeds from the river bank to keep them together. Okay. So the more walking they did over time, the smoother it got. Okay. Their second technology, of course, were the flagstones like the tiles in your kitchen. Yeah. They had no problem with that. They had the stone, so it was no technology to them. So they didn't even walk with So the situation was, was this, that in earlier times, was that when they had just mud or earthen floors, during the summer months, there was a kind of a sour smell off of those floors, because they were walking on those all the time. So to generate a kind of a perfume, what they did was, they went out to the, uh, to the fields during June, uh, July, I'd say June, July, for this month especially. And they would pick bunches and bunches of meadowsweet, that's what they were called. And they would lay those bunches on the floors here, lift them there until they decayed. So you had a nice, lovely smell of it. Mm. And that, that's actually, that flower, as I understand it, by the way, does uh, a, a medical properties in that flower as well. Right. So, I mean, that's just to give you that information. Mm. Mm. So that was their version of Febreze. <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> the hinge of a door oh ok that's, so what we're looking at is a quarter circle of stone that is chiselled into in a shape yeah. with, a, with a, uh, a hollow place where you could put the hinge of the door correct yeah. correct and at the bottom end there was another with a, a little hinge of the door and I'm going to tell you what this is called. This is called a hanging eye. That's what it's called, hanging eye. Right. You know, depending how small or how tall they were. Well, I'll tell you what, I think where we may have seen two of those recently. Right. In Gallerus. In where? Gallerus. Where's that now? The stone um, huts. It's down in County Kerry. Okay. Where they, um, uh, it's... The monks had a little stone hut. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's completely um, okay, yeah. uh, dry, dry stone construction. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that's what, that's what it was called a hanging eye. There was another small stone at the bottom with the, 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 the hinge going into it. Well, not yeah. the hinge, the, the door. What would you call it? The iron part of the door was that was the other hinge at the bottom. Right. Right, okay. And that was actually called uh, a spud stone, meaning a potato stone. Yeah. Hanging eye and spud stone. Right. Have you heard of that before? No, I haven't. Thank you for coming to Skaten. I've done my job. Right. Fantastic. You see, Fantastic. and you see the information I'm giving you now. Right. I've never, never in the 55 years ever allowed anyone to record me. Never. But I, I, I think you were such a gracious man, and I, and I was kind of down in my, the way things were happening here, and I said, by Jesus, you know what, I'm 80 years of age, and we get the information. Anyway, I'm going to out through a door, and yes. it's a traditional shaped door for things like this, in that it is a um, pointed arch at the top yes. into a little what would be, uh, we would call it in modern terminology, we're into kind of a little hallway. Okay, okay. Or a vestibule would have been. Well, I don't know, but with a hallway. But this area out here was their kitchen garden. Right. So they would bring all their fruit and veg in here to prepare and cook. 
but the one thing that I have uh, thought about only in the last 12 months or more looking at this when this doorway here is a lot taller yeah. than this one here yeah. I'd say that, that, that's what you call a gothic type yeah. door so this door is smaller and why and this is my opinion I maintain if the day was uh, windy or that and when they brought the fruit and veg in, excuse me, in here there was a light draft here and to keep as much heat as possible in the kitchen that's why the, that doorway was smaller and that's my opinion yeah Okay. Yeah, and you can see the same design under uh, on the ceiling here, vertical now, and horizontal lines. Now, hazel branches and willow branches. I see an opening up there. Was well, you was see that all was there? Or is I, I I say it must have been because I tell you why. Those stones on top there, they seem to, they're loose stones, and the continuity in the in the yeah. of the roof. Yeah. So that would probably fall in with. Um, I guess that would be ventilation for the kitchen as well. Well, yes, oh yes, I know what you're saying. I, I would think so. I would yeah. think so. Yeah. But also, by the way, the green, the green algae you see there, that's because of water that's seeping through here. Right. Right. So yeah. that's all I have to say here. Yeah. And we're now going into the cloisters. Recesses here, watch. Yeah. One of either size. Like ashtrays. Like ashtrays, exactly. And I maintain that's where they had their candles. Oh, yes. That's my opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the fact it is on stone, it, it wouldn't want to burn anyway. That's right. Say, you know. Yeah. Right. So uh, you you one in the other side here. Amazing detail. Yeah, you should go in there, my good lady. Remind your head, and uh, <laughs> and, and, and you have a light in your um, phone. Yeah. <coughs> now every place we're actually inside uh, the cloisters. The cloisters was a covered passage where the monks would walk around, pray, and meditate. And it's built around a square. Total measurement of that square is two hundred and four feet or fifty-one feet by four. The pillars that I'm pointing on my hand at this point in time, these are the best complete crises in all of Ireland. That's what they're saying. And this stone came from Cannon Island in Clare. I want to brought here the masons carved into what we're looking at. The windows overhead were the dormitories of sleeping quarters mm -hmm. and at both sides. Mm -hmm. That square area there in medieval times there was no roof over this area by the way that may have been a herb garden flower garden a fruit garden in modern ones at the moment if you want to call them modern uh, they have we'll say the water features and all that mm -hmm. so I mean that's what you have here and there are many many burials within the places walkway here and in there when you mention burials I see what look like fairly recent graves yeah yeah because that family family you see they have a, a burial place there and they come on and an OPW came on there some years back maybe 20 years ago that, and they raised them off the ground they placed them against the wall I'm sure big on account of inscriptions if you're walking over inscriptions they're well away they do yes. and the situation with this here by the way is just that uh, 
uh, to stop that happening and also make it easier for you and I to walk around. Yes. 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 Okay. So what I'm going to say to you now, because in the last two years I spotted something here one day. After doing tours here, and I came in here, and I was talking about to myself, and the answers I was getting was fantastic. I'm sure. It's just, it's unbelievable, like, you know. I, I went home that night, and I slept all night long. No one disagreed with you. <laughs> <laughs> but what I found interesting was this. The square here, and looking at those arches, uh-huh. and I said, Jesus, isn't that amazing? How come I never spotted that till now? There are 12 arches, the apostles. Right. 12 12, 12. Oh. And what I'm saying now is this, that there may be 48 monks living here. Five in the sun, Yes, no. indeed, indeed. Which is a big place because there were nuns here, I believe, as well one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob Vance and Secret Sites, some years ago, <laughs> he, he rang me one day and he said, Anthony, he says, um, RT and myself, we're going doing uh, with, uh, um, a film of Escape in Franciscan Friars because it's a fantastic place. So he said to me, it was around July when the children were at school. Anthony said, Is there any hope you can get, we say, 14 children? And I said, What? What in the name of God do you want 14 children for? And he said, I'm telling the story he said, about a monk that fought with 14 children. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I said to him, I said, We can't do that. Oh, he said, We can. But I said, Is it true? Well, he said, It is. Anyway, I had, I had a lot of my grandchildren here <laughs> and their friends and they were in there playing a ball and they were dressed in their kind of uh, robes if you like yeah, yeah. and it was fantastic it, it went down a bomb like you know sure. but anyway these pillars by the way getting back to the pillars these are limestone pillars but limestone when polished has a marble feel which I'll show you in, in, in the next couple of minutes around okay. the corner here right. now the other thing is this right over here you can see that timber structure yes that's covering a fresco okay. we, and we cannot go up to see it because we don't have I don't have the keys to go up yeah, there yeah. and health and safety is a yeah. huge issue yeah but uh, that's actually I would say um, it, it has darkened with the weather over the last 14 years that's what they are oak okay now uh, when you say the fresco what size approximately I, I'm going to tell you that now in a moment but also on the, on the roof there are slates on that which came from Valencia Island in, in okay. Kerry right I know exactly how many slates went up there I know the price but I won't tell you that that's right <laughs> yeah I remember when we were down Valencia Island okay. years ago that the quarry down there yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So with yeah. the statue of our blessed lady when you're going into the quarry yeah anyway the situation with that fresco is this the plaster on the walls would have been lime sand and water okay up there there is an outline of a picture frame kind of reddish in colour and there are two imprints of two halos imprinted onto that plaster and the experts of the day which are supposed to be OPW they still don't know what is in the face of Christ or our blessed lady so they're protecting it now from the weather okay. uh, 14 years ago and the one thing I always say in my tours that uh, it only takes um, three or f- uh, 700 years before they protect anything from the weather I mean we're not in any great hurry here in Ireland I know we do so much this week I would the weather is consistent so limestone when polished has a narrow feel and look about it but before I talk to you about this little carving of St. Francis of Assisi just here this little recess here uh, there's a door there's an opening going into the church so I maintain that's why they kept their missiles 
Okay, so in the morning they picked up their missile and they walked around and they prayed and meditated. Yeah. So now we have a little uh, carving of St. Francis of Assisi. Um, there's a story, legend tells us that his face, by the way, is very smooth. And legend tells us that if you suffer from a toothache, you came in here at midnight, you gave the statue a kiss, and your toothache disappeared. I hope you're not a dentist, son. <laughs> no, I'm not a dentist. But like, I can't see myself coming in at midnight kissing a statue. Well, okay. And this is the point I'm going to make next. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of young people nowadays, if they had that ailment, they would come in here at midnight, but they would fail miserably to get the cure. Because? They wouldn't be kissing the statue at all. They'd be kissing each other. That's true. <laughs> anyway, St. Francis. So, St. Francis of Assisi, he was born in 1182. When he was born, he was christened the Giovanni di Pietro di Bernardone. His father, Pietro, was in the continent, unbusiness buying cloth. So, when he returned, he changed his son's name to Francesco of Francis. Growing up as a young man, he had so much money on him, he just didn't know what to do with it. It seems he was a great singer and a great companion for a night out in the town. I wouldn't mind meeting him now at that time. That's right. <laughs> he, uh, he built the first Christmas crib in Greco in December 1223. On the 11th of September 1224, he formed the first order of Grey Friars in Canterbury in Great Britain. On the 17th of September 1224, he was in La of Florence, where he received the stigmata of Christ's wounds. Now he did a few preaching tours before returning to Assisi. He died on the 4th of October 1226. He was canonized on the 16th of July 1228, because the reign was made to his honor. His body was hidden in 1230 less stolen because relics were very precious. And his body was rediscovered under the pillar in the Basilica in 1818. That's the story I give here. And when I meet Italians here over the last few years, I would ask them, uh, is that so? They say, uh, we, we, are knowing, we know more now than we did before. Yes. So that's the story I give of our anyone. So and I want to just get, put dates in context. He was born when? <coughs> he was born... Um, uh, 11, 1182. And the monastery here was established in, in, in 1389. Okay, right. So we're talking about uh, two, 200 years after he was born, about yes. 150 years yes, after he Yes, died. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you see, why had that little carving in San Francis? Because this was a Franciscan friar. Yes, yes. Does that add up? Oh, indeed. indeed. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. why I want to put it in context there. Now, what we have here, by the way, is an inscription. Beneath lies the pilgrim's body, who died January the 17th, 1784. The pilgrim that spirit here was a Spanish merchant ship owner. His name was Don Martinez Mendoza, and he came from Barcelona in Spain. He had one child and only daughter called Beatrice. And she ran away secretly and married one of his captains who was Italian. So when the father heard about it, he was very nice. So he put his daughter into a convent where she died giving birth to a baby boy. So he swore vengeance on the Italian captain. So he sought his business, and he was not for the next uh, 12 to... He was for the next seven to nine years on his trail. So he sailed into Britain, he sailed into Ireland, and he came to Escaton because it was a trading port. He befriended the parish clerk, a guy by the name of Phil Rourke, and uh, he stayed in good lodgings for a few days. Now you'll find this interesting now, because the good lodgings that he stayed with was within the castle grounds where you have a red brick building which was a hellfire club. 
I had fire club, by the way, it was a, a young gentleman's club, and I'll talk about that later on now. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the situation is this: <clears throat> um, his health was failing. Oh yeah, he did catch up with his health. Uh, he did catch up with his Italian captain in Kildare, uh, where he murdered him. His health was failing 12 months before he died, and he had helped with the grapevine that his offspring grandson, who he never met, was now in the same business as himself. He was a Spanish merchant ship owner. So what he did was, uh, he got word to him that he would like to meet him before he died. If not, there would be a marker or indication here of where he was buried. And all he wanted his grandson to do was to dig down into his grave where he would get a bag containing gold sovereigns and silver. And how we got to know about that story was that when Phil wrote the palace script, when he died, he had a notebook in his possession in Spanish telling the story about Don Martinez Mendoza. Now, when I do tours here for the last couple of years, for many, many years, and uh, I, I find it very interesting, like, you know, with some countries, especially the, the Americans. So I, I had a group of people here, uh, about 12 people here, one, one, one day, could be of a Sunday morning, maybe two years ago. So after giving this information, this American gentleman in the background, he says, I say, Anthony, he says, was the money ever found? I said, I'm glad you asked the question, sir. And I'll tell you, I dug down into that grave, I said, two years ago, I got a bag containing gold, sovereigns, and silver, and I have an Anzacar account of it found. But I said, don't tell anybody. And the reply came back, and echo. he said, my God, Anthony, but you're a very clever Irishman. But I had to tell him afterwards that that was just... A bit of fun. I know. You have to have a laugh. I am my tools, or else we're dead. I'm still a compass. Right. What we have here was a. Or it would have been a sundial, wasn't it? It's a sundial, and says, no, and rightly what you said, a compass. You have a, a, what they call it, longitude and latitude. Yes. Now, the situation with this here, by the way, uh, south, yeah. north. Yeah. And on the same day, by the way, because the day was not that great, this area of this uh, Sunday that I was explaining to him about was uh, kind of dark. So I put in, we put in a little stick here, and I gave him the time. I think this is 6 o'clock in the morning until 6 in the evening. Mm-hmm. So this, this uh, same American gentleman said to me, I say, Anthony, how come did this area here is, is so dark? I said, that's night time, Forgive <laughs> 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 me, my body's sake, not are you? But anyway, to get back to this here, by the way, you see, um, Columbus, you see, founded the United States. And when he founded, they were always, uh, what they call, seafaring boatmen, right? Mm-hmm. So they would use this, we say, as time, and they would also use this with the stars as well, like. Mm-hmm. No, I can't explain anymore because I'm not into that side of it at all. But looking at this little um, inscription here, by the way, I've often been asked about this here. And uh, I always, for a long, long time, looking at this here, it looked like a Viking headdress to me. That was the first thing I thought about. But I came on there only 12 months ago, not 12 months ago, two years ago, and I said, look, this is a, a long bow with the arrow mm-hmm. firing towards the north. So mm-hmm. the gentleman that was here on the day seemed to know a little bit more about this. So he more or less agreed with what I was saying right. as regards the, the longbow. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know what you. Were yeah, I don't. Well, what struck me was that well, it's, it's online with another. Yes, but yeah. Well, yes, but the, the point here is facing north. Yes. Askeaton mm-hmm. Friary. The Irish pronunciation for the English word is Manchester Askeaton, meaning Friary Askeaton, spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. So how did Askeaton get its name? Where our castle is situated here in the town, um, it's on an island surrounded by water, the River Deal. And upriver during the winter months you have a cascade or waterfall. The Irish for waterfall is called Ash. Okay. Getting out with a Celtic tribe that lived outside the waterfall. So to revert back to the English, and my tongue is going over the English word Askeaton. So I'm putting my tongue, and I'm uh, I'm showing as means waterfall of the Keating or Keating's waterfall. Okay. There are many many different pronunciations of it. Yes. The black is the original building, the blue is later tradition, and the white is the foundation. Kitchen, oven, cloisters. Mm-hmm. Now the next piece of information, I think, I'm sure you'll find this interesting now. Just behind your back there, there's a, a, a gateway there which we can go into, mm-hmm. and there's a, a few tombs in there as well. And the tomb that you see, my good lady, looking through those bars, you'll find this interesting now. That's the tomb of J. Carol Nash, the Hollywood actor's grandparents. And I'll explain. See, see this here? Mm-hmm. That's the tomb that's in there. Okay. Jay Kellenash was born in New York in 1896-97. He died in New York in 1973, and he acted the part of Charlie Chan and the Manson Monkey. And his grandparents, who came from Askeaton, are buried in there. Jay Kellenash's grandmother, she was the daughter of Dennis Sampson of Dublin City Esquire. She was 32 years of age uh, when she died, married for 13 years, and left the family of six. And J. Calvin Nash, uh, uh, was, uh, he was known as Strong Nash. He might have been a very, very strong man. And he built a house outside the skate here in the 16th century. That house is still standing, and there are people living in that house. It's a fantastic house, mm-hmm. a huge house. Mm-hmm. So... J. Carol Nash, and I'll show you a photograph of him in my, uh, mm-hmm. in my book mm-hmm. in a few moments. Mm-hmm. It's there. Back up in the wall there. Bishop Pasago Healy and Father Connor Rourke, they were masters for their faith because they would accept the allegiance as the Queen Elizabeth I. And uh, they came in, uh, uh, there were two monks who sailed in uh, from Smirkwick, uh, um, outside Tralee. Smirk. Um, and they were coming here to Askeaton to meet up with uh, the Earl of Desmond. And of course, it, that was during the Desmond Rebellion of 1579, and he was on the run at the time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Eleanor was a tough lady, so she guaranteed her safety. So, she gave him a big meal. And she was, kind of, she was holding on to him for a long time, you see, because she felt that her husband might get away in case he might be uh, killed. So, what she did was, the very minute they left, <laughs> she reported that they were going to Limerick to the authorities with their cloaks and all and you know the priests and they were captured before they entered Limerick City they were put into jail and they were killed above a place called Kilmarock mm-hmm. outside Limerick mm-hmm. there's a mound there or a crook there they call it and uh, they were hung there so their bodies were brought back here to escape in 1626 and Mass was celebrated here, which I'll tell you in a moment, uh, here on Sunday, the 27th of September, 1992. 
uh, to their memory mm. because there were 17 Irish masters beatified by the Pope right. 16 men and one lady right. you see you have to have a lady involved in everything if not you're f- we're, we're dead we're at the, the jam of the door here we're going out by the way ladies and gentlemen we're going out now into the into the the, the church so what I want to say here about the, these two with the carvings here this is the acorn or oak tree yeah. with the Celtic design. Right. So many countries, you would say, together, that's where our Celtic came from, you know, interlinked, if you yes. like. And uh, that's a lovely car, which is still beautiful, there. Still beautiful. And what you have there then would be the thistle, which would be associated with Scotland. Correct. So a Scottish monk must have come here at one stage mm-hmm. and to create his activity, uh, uh, to create, we say, his work, that's what he did, mm-hmm. a, a monk. So, I mean, that's what you have here. And you can take photographs of that if you like. Now, what you're going to find interesting, and you know, if, you're, if you know anything about this or not, when these doors were closed, you see, yeah. um, you had a, a long piece of wood, yeah, yeah, went to one side to the other. Yeah. And would act as a brace. Correct. And what are they called? That's a car. Yeah, it's called a belly bar. A belly bar. A belly. Uh, so that's when you belly up to the bar. <laughs> called a, <laughs> a belly bar. Because I'll tell you why. You see, if you think about this here, I stand here now, sir. Yeah. If you stand here, it's a. It was that. You know, was that your belly button. Like right? your belly button, like you know. Yeah. And the situation was this. I'd say, apart uh, having the door locked, this was real. And it was roughly at the midpoint of the door, so it was. You understand there was, there? Yes, there was, it was greater strength in, in resisting. There was, of course, you see. Yeah. And you have another one that uh, fell over, and it went in for the two windows at the other side. We'll be going over there in yeah. the moment anyway. Yes. So uh, that's what it's called, uh, a yeah. belly bar. <laughs> now, in here, by the way, is the church. There are more graves around here, it's unbelievable. I can remember well the trees drawn here at one time and I saw very old photographs of trees as well but point I make and choose this we are now in the church that wind in the distance that design is called a gothic design because it's pointing to God right also table which we'll, I'll talk to you about in a moment and that altar table was never never in that position until 1992 and I'll tell you why later on ok I'm not boring you to see it no, now no no ok <laughs> We have one, two, three. The vertical stone and the earth shape of the tombs of benefactors. High-ranking monks, when they died, they were buried underneath. Okay. And they became altars. Uh, they became side altars. Uh, altars later on. Right. Because if you were thirty or forty monks, and we'll just say half were qualified to say mass, yeah. they couldn't be all waiting for the main altar. Yeah. So there was mass going on there, 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 and there. Yes. Yeah. Because of course, in the in, in the days of when there were lots of clergy, side altars were the standard. Yeah, I mean, uh, my parents got to go to. They tried to educate me, but they failed miserably. So they sent me to the goddamn Jesuits in Limerick. And I can remember with uh, the church and the school was all one building. So some morning you would go to church, which uh, maybe ten o'clock or eleven o'clock, and you see these priests and they're saying mass. Yeah. I know, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now, this is what I want to show you. High up in the wall there, you see that uh, with the uh, uh, opening? Yes. 
that is that's what they call a squint window or viewing window that's on a direct line to the sacristy door which we're going up to in the moment where those flowers are and when we go up there I'll give you more information on this stand there my good man and face me and look at the screen that screen twin in the distance yeah, I can see that's it. on a direct line to this door here it is indeed and, and if, see when the monks got up in the morning to say mass they walked along there they walked right over that window because between the inner and outer wall there's a staircase so they came down into the sacristy there put on their vestments and they went out to say mass right so if you come out here I'm going to explain a little bit more about this here when the priest when the monk uh, was coming out, coming down here to say mass, as he came out here, as I understand it, he never stood on the threshold. You see, this, uh, the tabernacle wouldn't out here at all. The tabernacle is in here, which we'll see in a moment. Yeah. So as he came out here with the communion breads and chalices, there was a monk up there, and when he saw the, the priest coming out here to say mass, what, did, what was his function? No idea. And? God bless you. Really? Wherever you met this lady, oh, I know you're looking to bring her with you. I know that, yeah. But you're absolutely 100%. Okay. A lot of people wouldn't know that now, you know. Right. He rang a small little bell to let the community within that Mass was about to begin. The monks could be in the kitchens baking bread because they would start Mass maybe at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Definitely well before dawn, anyway, you know. As I understand. And of course, at that stage, the sundial was in the dark zone. Now, what we have here, by the way, behind my back, high up in the wall, another cavalry of St. Patrick. Oh, who came here in uh, 430 or 440 AD. So when he came to Ireland, passed on the face to a pagan country, he picked up with uh, a three leaf plant, yep. and of course, uh, uh, that was the shamrock. Mm -hmm. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the one God. Now, those seats here, by the way, they were reserved for the monks while Mass was going on. So there may have been a choir here as well. But what we're looking at here is a tomb. This is the tomb of Oliver J. Stevenson. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N. Oliver J. Stevenson was a captain in the Catholic Confederate Army who defended the castle here in the Skaten against the English. And during the Desmond Rebellion of 1579, Nicholas Malby, who was English, came to Ireland. He came to Escaton and other places. And he tried to take Escaton Castle, but he was unsuccessful. He hadn't enough of artillery. So he came down here and he plundered this church here. Some of the monks that he captured, they were hung from the rafters. And to left to the elders of Desmond some days later to take him down and bury him. He burned the church, he burned the town, and he burned the crops of the local farmers. So Oliver J. Stevenson, he was summoned to Cork in the south of Ireland in 1642-43, where he was killed in battle. His body was brought back here and placed in this tomb here that the monks gave him. And why? Because after the Desmond Rebellion of 1579, this place was a total ruin. So he tried to rebuild the church for him in 1627 without success. The Catholic the Confederates again tried in 1643-44, again without success. 
So this inscription that I'm pointing at here was, was presented by his wife and by his mother. His wife's name was Brown, Margaret Brown. His mother's name was O'Neill, Eleanor O'Neill, and it happened in 1646. And no meaning in the year of our Lord. So you have Latin and you have English and all that. So what you have here, by the way, is that design is called a rope design. Mm -hmm. Now, in all the tours I do, because I always like to, you see, you could bore people to date with dates. So what I try to do is this, I want them to feel that they're wanted and will they laugh. So I, I will be explaining about this design, that this design doesn't follow under the rest of this. At both sides. And as the Americans say, I say, Anthony, how come, why did they do that? Well, I said, this work, I said, my friend was doing it on Monday morning. <laughs> and I said, Monday's not a bad day in Ireland. He said, why? Well, I said, we kind of enjoy ourselves the weekends. <laughs> and I mean, when they come into work Monday morning, they're not in the best forum. They're towers around midday. Mm -hmm. And it was say, uh, and they do the same thing in the weekends. So I said, but by the way, I said, the idea of this at both sides, which is different, I maintain there's nothing wrong about imperfections. And, uh, and I think it's nice. So that's what I say about it. I, I, I would say to people on tour, if you want to ask a question, there's no problem. Yeah. If I can answer it, I'll answer it. And if, if not, I'll find out for you. So uh, there was this lady uh, amongst these uh, Americans, and she says, uh, uh, that's like a path, it looks like the Ten Commandments. You know, with the oh, shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I said, uh, I'm glad you said that, but these are the escape ones. <laughs> this author's table, which was also a tomb, was never in this position. So, I mean, I'm going to go over here now. So before Vatican II was there, the priest had his back to the people. Mm -hmm. And now with Vatican II, he's facing the people. So the point I'm making is this. When this altar table was placed here, all the stone here was falling into this repair. Okay. So the situation was tilted. Mm -hmm. And there was lots of burials underneath. So the situation was this. My opinion would be that whoever was the leader of the church here at the time, that if they were here for 10 years or 20 years or 40 years and when they died their bodies were placed under the altar table and every time that mass was celebrated they were all remembered in my opinion so the point I'm making is this on Sunday the 27th of September 1992 there were 17 Irish masters beatified by the Pope and mass was celebrated from this altar table on that day on account of those two monks uh, who were masters for, for their uh, uh, for their faith because they wouldn't accept the leads to Queen Elizabeth I. So, the windows here, by the way, <coughs> there was glass in these windows here. You see there's a channel uh, uh, down there along yes. the side with those little recesses. And as I understand it, <coughs> stained glass they had on those windows. Stained glass was very expensive now. So what they did was, they had um, was, uh, um, an iron frame, not iron, uh, uh, lead, a lead frame, lead maybe, frame. right? And they put the glass on it, so the glass went into those little uh, channels, right? Yeah. And the holes on either side, they had it with the lead, with the lead bars, like going the belly bar, well, if you like. Yeah. So the lead bars going from one side to the other, yeah. and it must have looked absolutely fantastic, indeed. indeed. So, right, so we, 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 okay, there's two recesses at either side of the sacristy door. 
this one is a lot uh, taller and wider than the other one opinion would be this was a crucifixion Christ okay. on the cross yeah. and his blessed mother at that, at that size right because in very old churches uh, I can I, I, I can think back and see where there was the, the cross the wooden cross within a church yes so that's what I would say they had here right okay we'll just go out here for a couple of minutes So this little recess here, this is where they kept the tabernacle, mm -hmm. chalices, communal breads, etc. Mm -hmm. here. <coughs> you have a fireplace here, yeah. because this was also the warming room. Okay. Why am I saying that? The situation is this, when I used to serve Mass for my sins many, many years ago, <coughs> uh, there was no uh, wardrobes at that time. I'm going back now to the 1950s. You wouldn't even thought it was at that time. <laughs> so the point, I'm, the point I'm making is this: they had a, a timber stand, and it was mm -hmm. on a slope. Mm -hmm. By having it on a, uh, on a slope of this, the altar uh, boy was uh, shorter, so he could pick up his vestments from the lower section. Mm -hmm. And the priest being taller, they would hang beautifully on the mm -hmm. uh, higher section. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, that, uh, yes, you have lovely calves here. To me, this could be a rose, maybe. Maybe a, a, a rose or a. a a rose or a tulip or something maybe to the rose that looks like a rose there doesn't it I know no more about it now yeah. than that you can see those iron bears that's there from day one those bears there in the window they're all rusted and everything and they used to put they used to keep them positioned and they used to put in lead right. down here as well like you know Okay, well, uh, the ceiling that would have been on this originally would have been uh, a, I see what is arched stone. It would have been stone. Yeah. Kind of flagstones. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, we don't have to go out there. Right. But I'm going to tell you now here. Oh, that masonry that we're pointing at here. Yes. Look what, do you know what we will? We will go out here. All this masonry that I'm pointing at here, this, was part, this, this is part of the bell tower. The bell tower was a lot higher than the church itself. It would have been. So the situation, this was destroyed during the Desmond Rebellion in 1579 by Nicholas Malbay. And you know, to think about the strength of the, of the masonry that they put in, it didn't fall block by block. I mean, when you think about it. Yeah. So yeah. That, outside that wall, then you see, uh, up to, would say, 2016, you had no, would say, um, you had no road where, but uh, okay, no. it was just a local road that was coming through. There, there, the there, there was no local there was no road. Bypass. Yeah, but there was no local road there at all. Okay, yeah, so just a field. Right. Something. I I, I want to show you something here. No. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Before we go there, see the flat. Yes. The flat flags coming out from the wall. There's a walkway on the inside of that, so you could walk all around, right? Okay. And I, I would say the idea of that there, uh, any rain that fell yeah. on, on the inside, if it wasn't covered, uh, to uh, flow, flow off of those. Okay. That's my opinion on that yeah. now. Yeah. Now, if you come out here, this is what I want to show you. The stairs. Indeed, I can see the stairs there, yeah. So, I think when the monks got up in the morning, they walked along, 
over the over the, the Gothic window down into the sacristy, grand vestments, and they went away and. Uh, and they said mass amazing amazing no. construction it's unbelievable it unbelievable is. the priest came out here and mass was celebrated under that window every morning because the lay people were not allowed to walk around the church at their own free will nowhere because why I'm standing here is this they had a lattice or custom railing here or what they call a screed there's a recess in the wall there yes and there's another one up there yes so to that height so they put in the one part of it in there and they slide it in there so the point they're making is this when the people came to church you could see through but you couldn't go through and the only time that this might be open to the public maybe Christmas, Easter or whenever there was certain uh, religious functions right so the people came into daily mass here yes now, when the, lay people, when the lay people came to church, there was a doorway there in the distance, so they came through. My opinion is that there were two half doors of oak here. There were steps down to this level here. They got the holy water here, yeah. blessed themselves, and went into church. Right. This is a very common headstone. It's not the work of art. But the gentleman that's buried here, his name was Michael Magnor. I knew him very well. And he was the last remaining member of a family of six. And I remember him uh, lining his grave with bricks and mortar. On his, on his 82nd birthday, which fell on the 23rd of May 1951, <coughs> he was here having a battle here. I remember having the battle, filling it up with contrast. This was his headstone. Okay. So an English tourist came in here, uh, had a chat with him, took his photograph, and the English tourist said to him, he said, how come that you're constructing your own headstone today, of all days, being your birthday? So his reply was, just to pass the time away. Jesus, I wouldn't be doing that anymore. Oh, sorry. That's fine. So, it was delete. <laughs> I forget now where I am. But anyway, um, so he said, uh, just to pass the time away. Anyway, the situation was this, that uh, he decided after finishing this after a few years, he would like to paint it. And he painted the cross, but ran out of paint, which was lime, to finish the job. Mm -hmm. So he went to a local store to get more paint to finish the job. He was either going or coming from the store, crossing the main street, slipped in a banana peel, broke his hip, and, and died one week later. He died on the 6th of January 1954, but the model of the story is that you should not construct your own headstone. You see what happened to him? <laughs> So the last piece of information is I'm going to recite a piece of poetry. I do this now to Excellent. And it's quite very appropriate, I think, at the moment, with our months. It reflects what every month means. And it goes like this. January brings the snow, makes our feet and fingers glow. February brings the rain, thaws the frozen lakes again. March brings breezes loud and shrill, stores the dancing daffodil. April brings the primrose sweet, scatters daisies at our feet. May brings flocks of pretty lambs, skipping by their fleecy dams. June brings tulips, lilies, roses, fills the children's hands with poses. Hot July brings hooing showers, apricots and gillyflowers. August brings the sheaves of corn, then the harvest home is born. Warm September brings the fruit, sportsmen then begin to shoot. Fresh October brings the pheasants, then to gather nuts is pleasant. Dull November brings the blast, then the leaves are whirling fast. And chill December brings the sleet, blazing fires and Christmas cheer. My name is Anton Makshihi, Tommy Sheer from Esketna, Kundalimni era. And uh, 
to tell you why in English I said that my name was Anthony Sheehy a tour guide of the key Eskeaton County Limerick Ireland and you're all very very welcome to our town of Eskeaton Eskeaton Enough That's what I do with my tours. That's the sure of Jesus, though. That's the final part of it now, like, you know. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> I'm saying to myself, I, lo- I love what I do, you see, like yourself, you know. Yeah. If you like what you're doing, it's not a job. It's not a job to me at all, like, no, you know. No, no, I just love it. And, and, the, and the feedback I get, it, it, it's kind of unbelievable, you know. Well, the other thing is, Anthony, like, 